You're listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live, with your hosts, Eric Provoznik, Jim Culver, Marty Zamora, and Christine Leninger. All Over the Place, where the fun sanity never ends. All right. Welcome back to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. With us tonight, as always, Jim Culver. How are you? How about yourself? Excellent, thank you, Christine. Hello, and welcome back, our producer slash occasional co-host and Mar- Marty uh, again in absentia this evening. Uh, but he'll be back with us soon, we hope. And with us tonight, we've got a. I, it's almost mystical the way that he, we, we've got his his lighting, his cameras, beautiful. It's it's perfect for. Author, historic, uh, historical fiction author Lars Walker, who's also an excellent translator, Norwegian translator, and some have said the most badass librarian this side of Conan, the librarian. Lars, welcome to all over the place. It is great to be with you guys. It's good to see you guys' faces. Uh, this is the first time I've seen your faces. I've spent a lot of time with you on the old uh, Threadonia blog, but uh, it is good to uh, get a sort of, well, I already said face several times, so some sort of a one-on-one, three-on-one. Since those old uh, the the Threadonia days, and and I, I and because of Facebook, I, I we've seen a lot of you, Lars, as as a Viking. In, in Viking garb and and, uh, and and weaponry. So, I mean, just uh, in in a nutshell, I mean, what wh- what do you think is the best way to describe Lars Walker? Besides all those uh, all those labels I slapped out. Oh my goodness! Uh, I am a man of many parts. Uh, if it's if, if if there's no money in it, I'm probably good at it. <laughs> I uh, I'm a, I'm an author uh, author of. Uh, about nine novels now, I guess. I sometimes lose, I always lose track. And I'm a translator. I've, uh, I translate, I've translated one major book of history on the Viking age and um, also a number of uh, film and TV scripts from Norwegian to English. Anyone's looking for a Norwegian translator, I am in the market. And, um, Viking enthusiast, weekend warrior, reenactor. Um, and and, folks, and when he says weekend warrior, he's not talking about those guys who got those armchair quarterback footballers. He is literally a weekend warrior with, with the with the swords, with 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 the shields, and with the, with the head gear. What well, is the head? Because I mean, that that's I mean, and this is one of the things I I love about you. You you're authentic, the real deal, and just how you know whether it's the Viking shows on, on Netflix or prime or whatever, uh, what has been the biggest uh, misconception people have had about Vikings throughout history? Is it the headgear? I mean, is it, is it what are the, the horns, all that stuff? Just what, what, what is it uh, that, that people get right? And, and what's the thing that uh, irks you most that they get wrong? We really, you know, we, we always talk about the horns I, th- I think maybe people are beginning to get the idea now. No, they didn't have horns on their helmets. There seems to have been headgear with horns that did exist. 
but they were ceremonial. It was something a priest would wear during a ceremony. Uh, horns on fighting helmets are a very, very bad idea. Uh, they just give your enemy a lever to knock the thing off with. It's not <laughs> what you want. Uh, it's not practical. So that was something uh, 19th century illustrators and costume designers for Wagnerian opera mm. came up with. And they really caught on because they do look cool. But no, that, so that's, that's, that's the one we always start with. But, you know, I could talk You're about that. You're a Minnesota that. guy. I mean, are, do, do you blame your football team you got up there for popularizing it? Oh no! It was it was uh, that was long before them. They uh, they just took it and ran with it. They just picked up on it. Yes, it goes back long before the Vikings were a thing. They. Uh, I was looking for a way to blame Fran Tarkenton for something, anything. So I, I'll I'll let it go. You know, there, there have been all sorts of misconceptions about when I. If you go to my website. Uh, LarsWalker.com. I actually argue against a point of view which was popular way back <laughs> when I made that site, which was that the Vikings were kind of really peaceful people and all those nasty Christians hated them. And so they told nasty stories about them, but they were really just merchants and they got into a little few fights because other people were bigoted, you know. And, uh, that's, you know, there's some truth in that, but what people, usually when people talk about the trade, that a lot of them were merchants, they leave out the fact that their major item of trade was human slaves. Mm -hmm. And I don't call that a peaceful occupation. Not, not peaceful, no. So, but that whole thing is turned around. So if you see the movie, The Northman, which came out recently, mm -hmm. the Robert Eggers movie, um, that is really the most accurate Viking movie that's ever been made uh, as far as authenticity and, and truth to the culture. And that thing is soaked with violence. It's probably overdone. So the, the, the wheel has turned entirely over and now we've got uh, Vikings as kind of super violent, which is an exaggeration too. Uh, I, th I think that movie went too far and it was a little too grim. But, uh, you know, and I, I didn't really love it as much as I wanted to. But so, in you know, and then you've in between you've got this Viking series on the History Channel, which was. We reenactors talk it over all the time, <laughs> and it is just an endless source of. Uh, Appallment. If I can, I was going to go with frustrated laughter and not ha ha laughter, but you know, yeah, I, I think it is really. I mean, first, I'm one of the first things you start out. They give you a show you a Viking ship, and they got the tiller, the 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 um, the steering oar on the left hand side, the port side. Well, that's the very first thing you learn when you read a book about Viking ships is that the tiller was always on the port side. I mean, on the starboard side. That's where the word starboard comes from, steering board. It was always on the right-hand side looking forward, the starboard side. So, I mean, they get that wrong in the first, in the first episode. Uh, they got the culture wrong. They got the clothes wrong. They got, I mean, it, it's... I appreciate the fact that it's gotten a lot of people interested. And you go to the reenactments uh, and, and 
be among reenactors and you'll, st you'll still see all kinds of guys running around with Ragnar Lodbrok hairbrush haircuts because that's what got them interested and I appreciate that but really this what they did was they made up a fantasy barbarian culture and they called it Viking well and I, I mentioned that uh, of course the Minnesota Viking are, are you are you a native of, of the upper Midwest that area? are you a Minnesota native I am a Minnesota native. Well, and just go, going back to you know, as a kid, just what what were your influences to get into literature and both learning the lore and then becoming a, a writer and someone who is caring and uh, and educating people on the lore? Um, well, talking about bad TV shows, um, back around 1960, a little after 1960, Kirk Douglas produced a TV show called Tales of the Vikings. He had a bunch of props from his movie, The Vikings, you know, which he starred in with Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. And he had these props and ships over there in Europe. And he said, I'm going to use them. I'm going to make a TV show. So he made this TV show called Tales of the Vikings, which was most of it has been lost. Uh, nobody even bothered to keep the, the, the old film reels. But you can see a couple of uh, of uh, clips on YouTube, and they really suck. They are <laughs> terrible. They're awful. But that was what raised my interest. Uh, I always tell people the reason I got into Vikings was because we didn't have video games when I was a kid. <laughs> I had to come up with my own romance, and I latched up, latched onto the Vikings. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I would have been 11, 12 years old at that time and uh, just read everything I could find. And I think I, I had an idea even, even from then, from that point, that someday I might want to write a novel about Vikings. So I wanted to get, get the research, get the information. And, and that's why I think I can say I have as... As Viking novelists go, I have a pretty good uh, basis in actual scholarship. I'm not Denver, saying I haven't made mistakes, but and you're 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 a Norwegian and, and with with a quarter Dane, that's correct. You got that, yes. Yeah, so so uh, I mean, just how, how much was passed down to you from grandfather, great grand, just through through the lineage to very little um, the. Uh, you know, I was aware of being Norwegian. We talked about, you know, my grandparents talked about Norway. They didn't come from Norway, but their parents came from Norway. All my, all my great grandparents came from Scandinavia in the 1880s. It was there was this great wave of migration, and they were all part of that. So there was talk about it, but this thing happened around the time of World War One, where everybody wanted to be 100% American. So they didn't, they all decided not to teach the language to their kids and, and just kind of forget that stuff. And, and I, you know, so many people I've talked to have said they really regretted that they wanted to learn more. And I've done some, you know, I've had, I've done some uh, research and, and, and uh, been able to catch some of the stories about my ancestors, but uh and I've been able to go back to Norway and visit the relatives. So I've I've been on some of the farms and, and visited the places, also some of the places I've written about. And that's been tremendous.
and with the translation work, I, I know, uh, you know, just in terms of getting authenticity and, and, and I mean, just what got you into the translation work and, and how, how have you been able to keep a bead on updating, you know, like modern jargon within the Norwegian language? Well, it's, um, I studied Nor Norwegian in college, the college, one of the colleges I went to had a Norwegian department. And so I took two years of Norwegian. I didn't really work on it that hard and my grades weren't that good. But after I was, I graduated, I decided I'm going to make this a hobby. And I, I just, one of the things I did was I got a Norwegian Bible. And I started reading my Bible in Norwegian, which is really a neat trick because then you can, you know, you, you recognize a lot of the stuff. And so it helps you with your comprehension. Um, and so I worked on it and I am, I don't really have a head for languages, but I worked at it and I worked at it and I worked at it. My conversational Norwegian is from hunger. It's, it's really no good at all. Uh, I, I, they tell me I speak it fair, but... I don't understand when people talk, uh, hmm. it just goes, you know, it's too fast. It, uh, so, but I'm good. I became a good translator of text and the advantage I have over the other translators, most of the other translators is that I'm a good prose stylist in English. So I can turn out a, a, a final product that's smooth and graceful. And, uh, that has, has done me well. Uh, up until <laughs> just the last year or so when the translation work has just dropped off. And I think it's artificial intelligence that's killing it. Mm. So. Uh, well, ha having formerly worked in subtitling and, and dubbing, that's, uh, I, I don't like hearing that. So it's from a subtitling <laughs> standpoint. So no bueno on the AI. I can only imagine what subtitles and translations are going to look like when if AI starts taking it over. It's bad enough when, you know, people that don't really know the language. Just as someone who, who watches a lot of foreign movies, you can always tell when somebody doesn't really know the language they're translating in the subtitles. And and uh, I've looked at some AI AI stuff that's just uh, really cringy. So I, I don't I don't know what to expect there. But what's really everybody needs an editor. <laughs> What's really irritating is that it's got is in fact is the other is is the other way around. A lot of the AI translation I am seeing is getting better and better. It's not perfect, but it's getting adequate. It's getting to the point where somebody who's doing a production and they're looking for places to cut corners, they can say, "Well, you know, we we can go with the AI on this and we can get by." Yeah, it seems like the the writers in Hollywood aren't big fans of that fans of that right now. I'm sure they aren't. Yeah, I think that's the majority of what the writer strikes about right now is just this fear of being replaced Matrix style by computers. And I, I don't think it's ever going to get quite like that, but it'd be interesting to see how far something like AI can go when it comes to both writing or you know creating subtitles, translation, any of those kinds of things. Uh, I'm not I, afraid. I'm not afraid of computers doing creative work. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of, you know, the singularity and, and, and machines becoming people. I don't see that happening. My experience of life is all my, you know, and I'm very old. <laughs> all my life, people have been telling me 
uh, science is now on the verge of explaining and completely explaining this aspect of humanity or completely replacing this, this human element. And I never see that happen. It's, it's like the cell, uh, when, you know, when biologists looked in the cell, they expected to find increasing, the deeper they went, they expected to find increasing simplicity. But what they find is increasing complexity. And, and humanity is like that, I believe, in all its aspects. The deeper you go, the more complicated it gets and the harder to replicate. So I don't, I don't see computers replacing the creative worker at any point. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that's, that's the wisdom of an, of an ancient man on the subject. And this is why I'm glad we kept the that that Obi Wan ghost kind of thing with, with your lighting tonight, Mark. I think that's perfect. You, you're you're our you're you're our Obi Wan. You're not our Yoda wisdom. You're Obi Wan tonight. I love our it. guest's identity is being concealed to protect him from his enemies. <laughs> kind of, sort of. Uh, other than having his name on the on the on the cover, and yes, all that. Change it, Christine. Change it. Change it. Change it. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> we'll go we'll back to that Lar Lars Anderson I screwed up with earlier with the, <laughs> one of the characters from your novels. Seymour so, Heine. It's not recorded, so you yeah. just introduced that just now. Well, I didn't. <laughs> the callback doesn't have to be known to anybody but me and you three. So, you know. And now they it. all know. See? I knew what I was doing. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just make it Seymour Heine. That'll be our guest for tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Barge, are you calling Moe's again? <laughs> you know what? Some jokes never go out of style, okay? No, they do not. Well, Lars, you know, we mentioned AI, that, you know, the writer's strike and things. And and uh, as an author, you know, I mean, uh, well, tell, tell me, like, you, you, I know you're involved a lot with Brandywine Books. Uh, they, they, uh, you know, just from a traditional publishing standpoint, you've also done eBooks and, and, you know, just as the landscape has changed with, you know, people, writers being able to, you know, do self-publishing, how has that affected the way you uh, work creatively or, or has it done that for you? Well, I, you know, I started out, uh, with the great good fortune and privilege of being published by, a, a an actual established business publisher, Bain Books. Uh, and, you know, and Jim Bain was like the last of the traditional hands-on, you know, publisher who actually runs the company and edits the books and works directly with his authors. And uh, I really treasure uh, the time I spent with him. But eventually that that ended and I have been self-publishing with eBooks ever since. So all my most recent books uh, are ebooks only, uh, and I get a lot of complaints about that. But I'm old and lazy and reluctant to learn new technology. <laughs> so uh, and also printing books is expensive. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So I do my first Erling book, The Year of the Warrior. I finally went to a printer because Bainus does the ebook on, on, on Year of the Warrior. Uh -huh. But I found out I have the right to do the, the paper version as long as I did a different cover. 
So I, uh, I actually got a printer and he's providing me copies that I sell at, uh, at the, I sell them only personally, uh, at events at the Viking events I do. Uh, so I do have that, uh, but you can't get that version on Amazon, uh, because again, I'm too lazy to figure out how. <laughs> Lars, I think I know somebody who can help you. Okay. <laughs> Nameless plug. That's your gal. Right here. From the producer. There you we'll go. talk. <laughs> have your people call my people. Absolutely. <laughs> with ebooks, and of course, I see. Uh, I'm going to guess that unlike me, your your background is authentic, and just just as as an author, and uh, I'm, you know, as a person in love with prose, real books, and you know, we we recently had on uh, Larry Jaffe talking about albums, and you know, the streaming culture has changed things. Ebooks has changed things. There's always something to be said about the tangible. And just picking yeah. up a book or picking up an album or whatever it is, and what, what's that like uh, in in your in your I want to say in your book, but uh, with you, what what what's what's it like for you as an author to just being able to have that hard copy in your hand? Well, it 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 means a lot. It always has. Uh, what a you know what a great moment for me. The most first uh, first time I held one of my books in my hands was something I dreamed of and. You know, the whole, of course, the whole publishing thing was, was a disappointment to me. Uh, I would, I, I, for, I, I, it was great to hold my, my first book. That was tremendous. But when I first sold a book, when I got the acceptance, I thought it would be a much bigger deal. And uh, I finally figured out why I was a little down, why it was actually a little depressed about it. it was because I had this image in my head of what being a published author would be. And, you know, it's an image from movies. <laughs> and, you know, the published authors in movies are always rich and they fly around all over the world and they're surrounded by beautiful women. And, uh, and I, I, I finally figured out that those stories are actually written by writers who are <laughs> writing about their fantasies. Uh, Comic book I, writers while illustrating women with, with uh, large bosoms. Yes, exactly. Something I thought, I thought yeah. I'd be taller when I was published. And <laughs> nothing happened. Damn it. So platform shoes are for. So yeah, it's but you know ebooks are nice. Uh, I haven't uh, I haven't gotten rich off them. No sign of getting rich off them yet. But well, as they are in in today's you know the culture and just and marketplace, uh, what's it been like for you? Has has how often has it uh, occur? Or, uh, you've had people come up to you at your Viking recreations has. Has there ever been someone that I loved your book that this has helped me? It's gotten me into Viking lore. It's gotten me and it's it's influenced me to be here. How often has that happened to you? Uh, I don't recall an instance. None. Was, hey, people, come on. You're the warrior. I was once at an event in a town and I was walking down the street in my Viking costume and a fellow did stop me. And he said, are you Lars Walker, the author? And I said, yes. 
And, uh, you know, so that was, that was my moment. And that's, that's all I get. Well, it's always awesome to be recognized when you're out doing what you love, right? Yeah. And that's interesting. You can be recognized in a a Viking costume. (laughs) How many people can say that? That is super cooler. Yeah. Yeah. I think he may have been a blog reader. (laughs) I think he may have read Brandywine books. By any means necessary. Yeah. And what what I... uh, I, I'm going to be... you know, transparent on this one. I, you know, uh, I've only read Year of the Warrior. I think it was the, the first one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but what I like about it, and, and with your writing, with, with, the, with the Erling saga, is the, the Christianity that runs through with, you know, like we talked about, you know, of course, the the, the TV shows and movies make the Viking uh, lore a little more violent than, you know, it may, may have been. Uh, but what prompted you to bring Christianity into the mix with that? I wanted to, well, you know, you write, you write out of the overflow of, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, uh, the writer writeth. Uh, And this is, the Viking Age is actually a very fertile stage on which to 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 uh play out christian themes because most people aren't aware of it but the viking age was the age of conversion in scandinavia mm-hmm. uh that was when christianity and heathenism were uh were butting heads and uh and by and by the way i use the word heathenism advisedly they uh the people i know who are Worshippers of the old gods prefer to be called heathens. They don't like to be called pagans because heathen is a Northern European Germanic word and pagan is an Italian word. So that refers to the people who worship Zeus. So I call them heathens uh, out of courtesy. (laughs) But, um, and and the whole, I I have a whole lecture I do. One, another thing I do is lecturing. I I lecture and I sell my books at the lectures. And uh, I have a whole lecture on the, on the conversion in the Viking age, because the story, and and this, this is something, there are a lot of people who are among this heathen community who will say one of the reasons they rejected Christianity was because Christianity was forced on their ancestors uh, by these Christian kings. And that story is told in the, in the, in the Icelandic sagas. And frankly, I, I, I have come to be doubtful about that. I think that story was exaggerated. The, uh, there's a, a historian named Anders Vinroth, who's a Swedish writer. And he has written a book on written a book on the, on the conversion of, of the Vikings, and he says he says the whole violence thing was exaggerated. The thing was in the Middle Ages they liked the violence. When people read a story about a king converting the heathens by torture and killing, uh, they said, you know, hurrah for our side. Uh, we, you know, Christ is strong. It doesn't strike us. It doesn't strike us the same way uh, today. 
in the sagas, I believe the uh, the violence was exaggerated in order to glorify uh, the Christian kings, especially Saint Olaf of Norway, who was kind of the hero uh, of of all the uh, uh, the sagas of the Norse kings. A book called Heims Kringla, which is the great uh, the great sort of history. Um, of the kings of Norway, and Saint Olaf is the hero. He's the he has the biggest section in the book, and he practiced this kind of of uh, of conversion. But but Vinroff points out that usually conversion at that point in history just essentially meant that the king was converted. Uh, the king was converted, and then they got the people who were keeping keeping records would check that country off on the list now it's a christian country and the king would get his his nobles his supporters his chief men and he would force them to become christians and that's where the violence probably happened to a few rich important men uh, because the king needed them on his side in this matter but the people as a rule were probably left alone and they just carried on as they always had and as the churches were set up and the children were baptized and catechized, then gradually Christianity uh, took over the population. But it wasn't a matter of, uh, of, of packs of Christian inquisitors running through the countryside, uh, forcing all the people to, uh, to become Christian. So uh, that, that's a... St- a story that I have been learning as I write, and I've been uh, and trying to incorporate that into the novels. Uh, but I still, Saint Olaf is still a kind of a of he's an ambivalent villain in my books because I I, I do take a strong line against this this whole uh, Christianity by force business, and it's it's kind of a central conflict in the Erling books because Erling is an historic is a character from these sagas too. And there is no record of, and there's good reason to believe that his part of Norway was converted long before Olaf showed up. And it was done by kindness and in a, uh, in a, uh, you know, a peaceful and gentle manner. Uh, In the tradition of the, of the, of the English church, you know, you hear all these things about people say, well, Chris, Christmas is a heathen celebration and Easter is a heathen celebration. And well, that comes from this old English tradition. They said, we will not just go into a culture and tear up everything and start everything new. We will just take the customs they have and we will Christianize them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that seems to have been how a lot of the the conversion was done in Norway, but that's not as dramatic enough for the sagas. Uh, so the sagas emphasize the violence. I can talk a long time on that subject, as you notice. I like it. <laughs> I get, and because uh, you know, most people, or I shouldn't say most, but this person especially, but yeah, you know. We we don't we know it from you know what what I, of course I didn't know the Kirk Douglas but you know whether it's you know Thor or things of that, Amer at least that's outside of you know uh, 
Minnesota, the upper Midwest, where, you know, a lot of uh, the Scandinavian uh, uh, immigration went to, it's not really known in, in America outside of that. So that, that's why I, I need to read your books more. And that's why I, I like reading your, your essays and things like that. It's very educational for me. Another book I'd like to suggest, and it's I haven't written this book. I have no interest in it at all. But it's a, a, a book written by a father and daughter team uh, in England. It's called, uh, I think it's called The Vikings from Odin to Christ. And it's a book on this subject. Hannah and Martin Wittick wrote this book. And it, uh, it incorporates some research I'm familiar with from my own Norwegian reading. And uh, I, it's, I highly recommend it on the subject. So I'm curious to know, Lars, um, when was the last time or has it even happened that you've uncovered or, you know, that you've uncovered something that you didn't know previously from your studies? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Oh, dear. Um, I think there was something and I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not remembering it at the moment, uh, but uh, oh, there's this whole co category uh, controversy about um, uh, women in the Viking Age, women warriors. You know, that's another thing from the uh, the Vikings TV series, the the idea of the shield maiden, uh, and I've always resisted that because I don't see it in the sagas. And everything I see in the sagas uh, suggests to me that uh, they had pretty definite sexual role models in the Viking Age. However, and I came late to this because I just kind of avoided the subject, but not long ago I read a book which talked about a grave in, in Sweden, I think, uh, which for a long time... It was, it was a grave with a skeleton and armor, full armor. And for a long time, they assumed it was, you know, a, a man's grave. Turned out it's a woman's grave. They did, did DNA analysis. Now, that's still not entirely convincing to me because, A, there are how people were buried had legal implications in the Viking Age. And, and it's conceivable that stuff might be left buried in a grave for reasons of family inheritance rather than that they were necessarily belonged uh, to the person in the grave. Also, I, I read recently that they're not sure that that the woman in the grave was actually Scandinavian at all. Uh, the DNA suggests that she might not have been. However, there is there is good reason to believe there may have been some female warriors, which is a tremendous concession to me because I'm a terrible sexist. But here, I so but but I had to concede that I had to concede that that the possibility. Uh, because I do try to be fair. But here is my my final argument on the issue, and no one has ever, well, no one has ever answered it because I don't think anyone's ever paid attention to it because I'm not important. But the question I ask is, it's, well, it's the what I call the dog in the nighttime argument. 
you know, the the dog in the nighttime from Sherlock Holmes, uh, the story Silver Blaze. I would draw I would draw your attention to the singular behavior of the dog in the nighttime. And the policeman says, but the dog did nothing in the nighttime. And Holmes says that was the singular behavior. And there's the singular behavior in terms of female warriors. We're always told about the monks of the Middle Ages that they hated Vikings and they hated women. And so, and they wrote the chronicles. These are the guys who wrote the records that we have. If the Viking armies were full of female warriors, how come they don't mention that? It would give them some a great big thing to hate. <laughs> they don't say a thing about it. So that that's my last argument. I still, if you know, maybe maybe there were women with glandular problems who who did do some fighting, but I I still don't think it was common. So that's a sort of yes in response to your question. Thanks. So out of your uh, Lars, out of your uh, translation work that you mentioned, would you say there's any any movie or TV projects that you worked on that you really liked and would just probably highly recommend more than anything else? I should uh, I should talk about those a little bit. I did Atlantic Crossing. Uh, I worked heavily on Atlantic Crossing, the miniseries about Princess Crown Princess Martha of Norway, uh, who was in the U.S. during World War II, which was shown on PBS Masterpiece in '21. Uh, it's it's you know I, I I cannot publicly say anything critical, so I will say. In general, I'm very pleased to be involved with it. And my boss was one of the co-writers. Uh, so I, I take considerable pride in that association. And uh, and I won't, you know, I won't go into details. Uh, two other things that came up recently uh, that I was involved in. Uh, one is a movie called Narvik. And I think it's probably still on Netflix. It's about the Battle of Narvik in World War II. Most people don't know the first land defeat of the German German armies in World War II happened in Norway, right after the uh, invasion. Uh, a, a joint task force of the British, along with some French Foreign Legion and Poles, uh, attacked and recaptured the city of Narvik in northern Norway, and then they gave it up again. Uh, and it's kind of a tragic story. Uh, I have to admit it's kind of a downer, but it's 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 a big movie that I was involved in in translating. And uh, and and I should probably mention that I don't do subtitles. I do script translation. What what our scripts are, they're used mm -hmm. when they're making business deals. So the people when non-Norwegians who are you know going into production, uh, deals uh, with, for, on these projects so that they can see a script in a language they understand. Also during production, the English speaking people involved in the production can follow along on our scripts uh, because most of the scripts are in Norwegian. Okay, so the other, uh, the other movie which uh, I particularly liked uh, was uh, War Sailor, which is also another grim movie. Uh, uh, which is also on our, on Netflix. 
Uh, and that is about <clears throat> after the invasion of Norway, the government of Norway nationalized the entire merchant fleet. And they said, you are now part of our military. And so all the sailors were suddenly, you know, naval sailors. Uh, and they were involved in moving materiel for the, uh, for the, for the allies, uh, especially making the Murmansk run, which was through the North Atlantic up to, uh, up to Russia to provide uh, to provide supplies uh, for the Russians for Stalin, uh, you know, at, at like you know, fighting at Stalingrad and 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 battles like that, and it was a it was just hugely dangerous. They lost like half the ships, and uh, a large percentage of the sailors were killed. And this is the story of a guy who was you know just conscripted into this and uh, never wanted to be in the war, uh, never signed up for this, but, uh, you know, to, to, to run away would be, uh, would be desertion and, uh, and his family is suffering at home. And it's, it's a, uh, it's also a tragic story, but uh, it is quite effective and moving. I don't know if there's ever been a Scandinavian movie with a happy ending, but uh, I think it's okay. against the rules. I really do. What was that last it, one called? It, War Sailor. War Sailor. Yes. War Sailor. Okay. You should check it out. I will definitely. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know what it is about Scandinavians. You would think we would, you know, the long winters. You would think. We would want a little brightness in our lives, but instead we've gone the way, well, if we look the darkness, you know, if we look, gaze deeply into the void, maybe we can stare that bloody void down. Well, it's kind of that, that glass half full, glass half empty, because you got the darkness, but then you've got those months where it's nothing but sunshine, too. Yeah, that's true. You've got to focus there. I'm always trying to find the positive with stuff. That's well, true. good for I you. Do what I can. That proves you're not Scandinavian. Worse, I'm checking Slovak. You know, it's like we're we're pretty depressing people ourselves with our literature. Not quite as bad as the Russians, but you know, we're we're, we're close. Now, uh, with what what I like about the the language in, in both you know, the the uh, the Erling saga, the the book that I've written, and just uh, you know, through years of illustrations, and everything, it's a it's um. The, the Viking culture, it, it's, it lends itself very well to the vi fantastical visuals. With your books, I mean, you know, the eight or nine, I, I, lo I love that. I got eight or nine books. It's common core math, wh whatever it is. Has anyone uh, ever approached you about either doing a film adaptation or an animate, animated adaptation? No, 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 nothing like that. I keep dreaming of that, too, you know. I would love to, you know, the, the ideal thing would be to have sell somebody the rights, you know, mm -hmm. to get a deal made and to get paid for the rights. And then the movie is never made. That's that would be the best thing to have happened because then there you, you go. Then you lack that. You you miss that great disappointment. Like what was it? David Brin said about uh, the postman. Uh, they 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 cut my heart out and filled the hole with money. <laughs> Hollywood, it'll do it. Yeah. 
Well, Lars, uh, what what is coming up on the horizon for uh, L- Lars Walker, the the author? I, I'm I'm working on on this. You know, I'm working on this big, epic, uh, wrap up to the Viking, to the Erling saga. It's uh, it's going to be longer than anything I've written before. It's going to the the books have been kind of, and partly I mean, partly inadvertently, but. Uh, the year of the warrior ref- uh, meant the year two th- year one thousand uh, because that's the Roman letter M, and I worked out an explanation for that. Mm-hmm. And I published, and it was published in two thousand, so it was on the thousand year anniversary. And I, and the books have generally been actually following the thousand year anniversaries of the. Uh, of the events described therein, and uh, and I don't, which would mean that the Erling book would have to end, come out in twenty twenty eight, which I think it's going to come uh, sooner than that because I'm going to, uh, but it's going to be big, and it may take me that long to do it, which will mean I'll be all be, which means I'll be almost eighty by the time that's published. But, but I, I people waiting for it. I, I think I'm going to jump the gun on that, and uh, and people will be able to read it uh, before that, and then they can read it again in ten to, in twenty twenty eight. Well, the M for a thousand, the MM for two thousand. I hope you know, unlike golden, you know, golden earring. Every ten years, they'd have a hit. We don't want you to be waiting for MMM. <laughs> on the next one, we don't we don't want to go that far. I but, am not uh, as bad as George R. R. Martin. Uh, my 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 fans do have to wait a little bit. I don't get a book out every year, uh, most of the time. But uh, I'm not as bad as that. I do, you know, I do get them out eventually, and I do finish them if I live. And so far, I have. Well, I I I want to get. A book deal that's never never filmed. I, I want. I want. I, I'd love to see some of this stuff up there. You know, with the you know more things coming out now with, with Viking. Whether it's the, because the Northman. I again the the added violence aside. I thought that was a great movie. Which is something I saw a few times in the theater. It, it was really great on the big screen. And I, I hope that we can get more Viking stuff out there, more authentic and maybe maybe not as violent, and just get some of uh, get some of Lars Walker's stuff out there. Well, that uh, yeah, would. That would be nice. Let's, let's find the right people for that. But in the meantime, folks, make sure you check out Lars over at his site, LarsWalker.com. And uh, Christine, Jim, as we wrap up, anything more from, from the from the, uh, the AOTP team? Uh, I was just going to follow up on, yeah, we're talking about uh, shows like Vikings and movies like The Northmen. It's kind of interesting because, you know, my my brain always goes to pop culture and things like that and our, our culture has basically gone insane over the last 10 years but but it's interesting that that's that these viking stories and films are still enduring because i think there's there's something universal about them but you know something like the northman comes out and it makes a huge cultural splash but hilariously people on twitter you know will start attack will attack it for for accurately uh reflecting the the ethnic makeup of of scandinavia at the time and uh, you know something like that so uh you know kind of where do you see these viking stories fitting in in the future of our culture do you think they're going to have a place or are they eventually going to kind of fall by the wayside the way say westerns have Oh my goodness. Um, well, 
I've been surprised that the Viking uh, in uh, the Viking Vogue has lasted as long as it has. Uh, I've been kind of been waiting for that all my life, uh, and uh, uh, you know you you stumped me. I don't. I can't tell. Uh, it may be that Vikings are too white, and uh, that they will have to be have to be uh, uh, canceled. Uh, but it, it, I, I'm 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 not sure that cancel culture has a future either. I, I I'm I keep waiting for uh, for the the straw to break the camel's back, and it's proven to be a pretty strong camel, but. Uh, things that can't go on won't go on, and uh, the, que the the question is just how big is the crash and what will we have left uh, when the crash happens, and that beyond my powers of prophecy. And for, it's not Viking too white. It's melanin challenged. That's right. Melanin challenged. So say, <laughs> so say it the pasty one. So, and you stumped someone, Jim. You broke a guest. Way to go, man! <laughs> Just congratulations, Lars. You're the first guest broken here on all over the place. <laughs> we, we we will be sending a care package your direction as soon as possible. All packages accepted. <laughs> well, I do want to thank you, Lars, for stopping in and helping to educate not 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 just me, but our entire all over the place audience on you know just the Viking lore, the Viking culture, and folks. Be sure you check out the the Erling Saga, which is going to be even more epic coming up with uh, Lars Walker. Check him out over at LarsWalker.com, Brandywine Books, and uh, Lars. Thanks again for stopping here on all over the place. It's been a pleasure to have you. It has been a great pleasure and an honor. I appreciate it very much. Well, on behalf of Christine and Jim, signing off here on All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. Thanks for listening, folks. Again, check out Lars over at LarsWalker.com, and we'll be back here on All Over the Place real soon. Thank you. You've been listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. If you like what you've been listening to, and you know you have, be sure to share it with friends and family, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. contained herein have been the opinions of the hosts, the producer, and the guests only. You have listened at your own risk.